please stand now for the reading of God's holy word. Once again, we are in Hebrews chapter 11, listening to the true stories of these characters that God has given us to encourage us along in our journey. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens of caves of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you. I want to begin this morning by asking you a couple of questions. They're rhetorical. I don't really want a response out loud, but I hope you will think on them deeply. The first question is this. What makes you think you won't turn away from Christ? And I don't mean towards habitual sin. I mean, what makes you think that you won't one day say, I don't believe that? Or, I don't want to be associated with believing that? What makes you think that, that one day something very strange will begin to be preached from this pulpit and the majority of people here won't disagree with it? They'll be happy that it's no longer just about Jesus. They'll be happy that nobody standing here would say he's the only way, the only truth, the only life. What makes you confident that you would stand against an employer who's ready to promote you, but upon seeing that you are zealous for Jesus, gives you the strong indication that you've gone as far as you're going to be able to go in this company. But if you weren't so zealous, if you didn't show your commitment, man, the sky is the limit. And that's going to mean so much for your family's security, at least from a fleshly standpoint. What makes you think you won't one day with your spouse be in a setting in your house saying, I'm not sure if I really believe this anymore. I'm not sure it's worth us risking our lives to go to that church. What makes you think that you will stand firm? It's a good question. Or those are good questions, aren't they? 
I want to ask you another question. And this one actually comes straight from the Word of God. It's a question that Paul asked Christians. Listen to this question. Word for word in the New Living Translation. He said this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't, 19. Don't you, Christians, Corinthians, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. What if, what if today, through a profound work of the Holy Spirit, and the only one who can do that work, what if today we did truly realize that the Holy Spirit is living in us? What if today, Christian, and this is only for those who truly are in Christ, what if today you truly realized that God is living in you? And every hand that was touched today or hug that was given to another believer all the believers who are sitting in front of you, beside you, behind you, all of us worshiping God, singing to God, the one who is omnipotent, omniscient, that means all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere present, including in us. What if we truly realized that God is in us, each other? So Paul's question is important. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is living inside us? He is the one who lives in you and was given to you by God. I want us to think about that a lot. Because you see, that's the connection. We, because we're clothed by the power of the Holy Spirit, clothed in the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, for His glory and by His grace, we have everything we need to face everything we're going to face. This little church, this little house church that was receiving this sermon in written form being read from a, a pastor friend who cared deeply about this small group of believers. He knew that they were having those conversations. Conversations like, is it worth it? Should we keep going? Is the risk too great for our family? Those are the conversations they were having. And so he gives them this incredible sermon, this incredible letter, and, and someone is reading it to them. And the whole time it's being read, he's pointing them to Jesus. He's pointing them to Jesus. And then in Hebrews 11, he gives them this incredible picture over and over again of men, a woman like Rahab. And he says, look at these saints. Look at the faithfulness of God in their life. 
and the faith that they had in the faithfulness of God. And in the midst of all of that, though you don't see it clearly, it's there. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Coming to the end of this section, this preacher says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel. He lists a half dozen more. If you go back and look at the stories of these six and, and many of the others flooded throughout Hebrews 11, you will see glimpses and specific references to the work of the Holy Spirit. Gideon is one. And for a few minutes, I want to highlight Gideon. To help, I want you to turn to Judges 6. Now, I just want you to keep Judges 6 open. I'm going to just essentially paraphrase the story, but everything I'm saying is coming straight off the pages of what was recorded about Gideon's life. So Gideon, his story is recorded in Judges 6. The outline of the book of Judges is real simple. Sin by the people of God, oppression as a consequence of their sin, and then rescue or deliverance. You could use the acronym SOD. Sin, oppression, deliverance. And so here's Gideon. His story begins in Judges 6.1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the sin. Primarily their evil was to worship other gods. It was to not trust the Lord often in the midst of uh, facing an enemy and they would turn and they would no longer obey what God had called them to obey. And when that happened, there were consequences to their rebellion. And so Judges 6.1 says, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. It's specific. Seven years. What can happen in seven years? As people, we're afraid of timetables like that, aren't we? What might happen in the next eight years? Or four years? Or 12 years? Will it ever be the same? This is not new, my friends. Israel sinned and they rebelled against God. God handed them over to the leadership of an, of an evil empire led by Midian. So the Midianites began to encamp around Israel. Now moms, picture this. Dads, picture this. Grandparents, picture this. An enemy has begun to circle your territory. And what they're going to do, as the Word of God says, is they're going to devour everything that you would use to feed your children. And what that means, moms, is you're going to have starving babies and starving toddlers and starving teens. And the enemy is so big that it's described as being thick. The inability to even count how many of the Midianites and Malachites are present. And so what happens is the people of Israel flee they leave their homes, they go into the caves, they go into other strongholds because the Midianites have come to destroy and to devour. And this happens for seven years. And then in verse 6 it says, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now the Lord in verse 7 it says, after they, re, 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 they cried out, he says that the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel now watch what the prophet does. He just basically tells the truth. This is what you did. This is how you rebelled against us. This is why the consequences came. 
But then the Lord continues to move towards the rescue. And this is when we come to Gideon. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joas. The list goes on until we get to this individual named Gideon. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. What an interesting phrase, because Gideon is not going to see himself as a mighty man. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Immediately, Gideon is honest with the Lord. And Gideon essentially says, where are you? Where is the Lord? God doesn't entertain Gideon's statements. Just moves on. Gideon says, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian? There's no response to Gideon's accusations. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Now you got to think about that. Gideon has been living in the oppression of the Midianites. He knows the thickness of that evil enemy. He has seen that the land has been devoured. And now he's saying, go and rescue this people. I love the Bible. These stories are amazing and they're true. Gideon says to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Does that sound familiar? Any other characters in the scriptures? They're actually in Hebrews 11. How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That's a big statement. What he's saying is, I will be with you. And though that army that has encircled this territory, though it's massive, it's beyond number, though it's thick as locusts, I will be with you. And because I'm with you, it will be as if you are fighting one man. It's awesome. Now Gideon needs some proof. And I can't go into all that right now, but it's worth reading. And the Lord is patient time and time again with his proof. So he proves himself to Midian, and then, or to Gideon. And then the Lord says to Gideon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to destroy the, the altar of Baal and I want you to cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it. Now think about that. I want you to go and tear down the, the altar of this false god and the other goddess that this pole represents that's next to it, tear them both down. That would be like God sending one of us to do something that would be very noticeable as soon as it happened, and it would be talked about, and the consequences would come immediately. But Gideon goes. Is he courageous? Yes. But how courageous? Not so courageous that he'll go by day, so he goes by night. He's not rebuked for that, by the way. He does what the Lord has called him to do. And after it is done, this amazing story, the Lord then, it says, verse 34, 
the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Just before that verse, the Lord has said, now go and attack the enemy. Gideon is scared. He wants more proof. But verse 34 says, the Spirit, capital S, of the Lord clothed Gideon. In other translations, it says, and the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. This Spirit that clothed Gideon with power, this Spirit that clothed Gideon is the Spirit, Christian, that is living inside you. This is the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that clothed Gideon as he faced this evil empire, the Midianites, is in you right now, present. That's amazing. It's a miracle. It really is. What would happen if we truly realized that is who is living inside us? I'm not going to finish the rest of the story. You could read it. And you'll recall it, many of you, from your own understanding of Bible stories. But it's a pretty remarkable victory. But I want to go somewhere else for just a minute. Read it. Please read it. It's worth it. The same spirit that was clothing Gideon has clothed you and has clothed me. He is in us. So I want to talk about clothing for a moment. Clothes matter. I came across an article this week titled, Clothes Have Power. You are what you wear. For some of us, that's scary. <laughs> but you know what? That's a true statement. Clothes have power. The first wardrobe ever made was made by a man and a woman whose lives had suddenly fallen apart. Never knowing guilt, fear, shame, completely naked, that was their wardrobe. They suddenly saw themselves and were embarrassed and humiliated and they ran from each other and they ran from God. And so they quickly began to make garments that would cover their nakedness. Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. Clothing is an incredible theme that runs throughout Scripture. From the Lord in Genesis 3 entering in, and at the end of that chapter, sacrificing an animal whose skins would cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. Clothes matter. In Christianity, we have this image of being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, covered in his robe. My friend, if you're in Jesus, you are clothed perfectly by him for all eternity. It's how the Father sees you. He sees his covering of you, his clothing of you. But I want you to understand something about the Holy Spirit. 
if you were not clothed in the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit had never moved in your life, you would never have believed that about Jesus. And you would have spent all of your days trying to cover yourself that you might look good enough for the Father to say, I accept you. But the Holy Spirit, by His grace, has clothed you. And as He has done so, He's illuminated our hearts and minds to see that He is awesome. He is the one. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And He's inside us. So what would happen if we realized that the Spirit of God is dwelling in us? I have a lot more I want to say, and I will, but not right now. It's time to land the plane. But as I look at you, and as you look at me, if you are a Christian, I want you to really begin to think about what it means to have the Holy Spirit living in you. After I pray, Paul Goebel is going to come up and he's going to sing a couple verses of a hymn solo. Then he'll have his stand. And it's a hymn that reflects upon Christ, our Savior, and his faithfulness to us. It's familiar to us. And as you lean in and listen, remember what I have been saying, that he lives in you. Father in heaven, Thank you for the day, and thank you for the time, and thank you for these brothers and sisters. And Father, as we, we come to this moment in our service where we close out with one final hymn, would you please do what only you can do? Reveal to us more and more the power of your presence and the way in which you have clothed us. In Jesus' name, amen.